Today we continue our series in the book of Job, turning to Job chapter 1, and I'll read verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 10. Hear now God's word. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hands. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants at the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels, and took them, and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. It was the 1991 U.S. Open, Hazeltine Golf Course in Chaska. Payne Stewart, remember the Knickerbockers, the old school look? He won that tournament. He later died of a plane crash in 1999 at age 42. During one of those days of the tournament, the skies blackened and there was lightning that was spotted. And then a little bit later, lightning struck a tree. And then about a minute later, lightning struck again. Twelve people were laid flat on the ground. Six of them got up. They had toppled like bowling pins. But the other six remained dazed. And there was one who, with his hands still in his pocket, that was killed, that had died. That day, lightning struck suddenly and unexpectedly. And so do often the afflictions and the troubles, and the persecutions, and the trials, and the griefs, and the tears, and the cancer diagnoses, and the death of loved ones, and miscarriages, and financial collapse, and relationships that are divided, and churches that are ripped apart, so do those things. Sometimes the tidal waves come, one after another, after another. Job 14 says our days and our lives are few in days and full of trouble. And yet God, our Father, meets us and comforts us with grace upon grace in our time of need. And loved ones, for us today, when we suffer, we can tend to isolate. We can tend to pull back. But Paul says God has comforted you that you might comfort one another in your afflictions. First, the prelude to these afflictions. We saw last time Job, his ten children, his prosperity, his greatness, the greatest man of the East. Contentment, great joy, and wonderful earthly circumstances. And now we see the scene in heaven. The veil is pulled back here. We get a glimpse of something that we cannot see with our human eyes. What we see is a royal court. God, and in his sovereign administration of the universe, with the supernatural beings who are not God, but greater than humans gathered around him, the sons of God. Psalm 82 talks about this. These are not gods. They are angels of whom there are billions, kids. Do you know that? There are billions of angels. 
Some of these are demons that are gathered before the court of God. And one is named. Literally, it says, the Satan. Why does it say the Satan? Because the word Satan is a title for him. That word actually is used elsewhere in the Bible, the word Satan, which means to oppose an enemy, an adversary. When Balaam went to curse Israel, the angel of the Lord was a Satan, an adversary to Balaam. So that's why it's specified with the definite article. The Satan. Who is this? This is not just any adversary. This is the one who is the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Lord of filth, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of, the, of this world, the father of all lies, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brothers, the great dragon, the old serpent, the roaring lion. That's who this is. Many people deny the existence of Satan. Others go to the other extreme and say there's a devil under every rock. We ought not deny him, nor ought we to be obsessed with him. He was created by God as wise and beautiful, the highest of the angels. In pride, he rebelled against God. And pride, loved ones, is at the root of all of our sins, all over the place. He is superhuman, but not divine. As Steve Lawson says, he blinds minds, he seduces hearts, he hindered Paul, he inflicts bodies with disease, he tempts us, he attacks us, he deceives us, he causes persecution. And yet, as Job is telling us, even as he opposes God, even as he does all these evil things, God is sovereign over him. He cannot do anything apart from the sovereign purpose of God. He appears here, as Christopher Ashe says, like a cabinet secretary reporting to the president. What's going on on the earth? Satan says, well, to God, I've been going to and fro. He's restless. He has no home. He's prowling like a lion. He's stirring up trouble like an oar in the water, kids, as you're canoeing and the water is churned up. He's evil. He's up to no good. He cannot hide his plans from God. The writer of the, Job, uh, of the book of Job knows this. Isn't that interesting? Job doesn't know this. Job's not aware of what's happening here before his trials come. But the writer of Job is a prophet, and he's telling you what God, by the Holy Spirit, has inspired him to write. God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? Satan is not everywhere present. Satan is not all-knowing. It's possible he had not considered Job. We don't know. But at this point, he's eyeing him. He's setting his heart on him. Job is God's servant. Job is in the covenant of grace by God's mercy and promises to Abraham and to Adam and Eve. And Job is his covenant partner. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan says? So at this point, Job is not just on his minds, but Job is in Satan's plans. He has designs on him, like Satan would later have designs on Peter. And here's the central question of the book, like we saw last time. Does Job fear God because of all the good stuff God gives him? Because he's prosperous. 
He's the greatest of the men of the East. All the kids he has, all the money he has, all the health he has, all the friends he has, all the influence he has, this guy has got it. That's why he fears you. See, that's what Satan is saying. That Job pays for prosperity by his loyalty to God, and God buys praise by selling protection. And Satan is flipping around what he did in the Garden of Eden. In Eden, Satan appeared to Adam and attacks the righteous ways of God. Now, the devil appears before God and attacks Job, a righteous man. You blessed him, God. But if your hand is reached out against him, if you strike him, if all of it were to change, which only can happen as God allows, Satan cannot do anything apart from God's sovereign decree, then you'd see that he's a fraud. If we realize our own hearts, we see this, own, our own, this sin in us as well, don't we? That we can so often not really love God for who he is, but love God for what we get from him. It's perhaps even easier to see how we do that to people. That we don't love them for who we are, they are, but we love them to get stuff from them. We, we love to network them and get something for us from them, or single women. Maybe a guy has said, if you really love me, then give me sexually what I want. He doesn't love you. He's in lust with you. He's trying to use you. Oh, God, have mercy on us. God here is showing Satan and us in the book of Job that he's a God who's faithful to his covenant promises. That's what the book's about. That Satan is saying, your promise, God, to Adam and Eve of a champion Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent and that you'll have a people for yourself, God, that is not going to happen. It's a lie. Job is a fraud. And God, I'm going to show that this is not going to take place. We need to remember that as God gives permission to Satan and as Job himself begins to suffer. Why do people suffer? When they suffer, what kind of questions do they ask? Sometimes people say, if I'm sick, does that mean I didn't have enough faith? No. That's the hell of the false gospel of health and wealth. Or if I'm sick, does that mean I need to pray more? Moralism. I've just got to try harder. I've got to be better. That's why. No. That's the lie of Job's friends. Or if I'm sick, and suffering, something happens suddenly, it's because it's just random. The universe has no purpose. Secularism, cynicism. Job is taking us, as Christopher Ashe says, behind the scenes. Broadly speaking, some people think that the world is governed by a multiplicity of gods, polytheism. Some are good, some are evil. Others say absolute monism. There's one God, what he says goes. And some Christians think that that's the Bible. It's not. That's Islam. That's fatalism. That's determinism. Others say there is no God at all. So evil really doesn't exist, but we know evil exists. We know it's not just matter and time and chance. Others say there's no goodness in God, but we see beauty and goodness all around us. That's only here because of who God is, because God is truth and beauty. Others say, well, God's kind of a victim. 
He'd like to stop it, but he can't. But that means evil wins. And that's not what the Bible says either. The Bible says the world lies under the absolute sovereignty of God. God has no rivals. There's no God like him. And God governs the world through the agency of a multiplicity of supernatural powers. Satan is the God of the air, meaning higher than earth, lower than heaven. God cannot have evil in his presence, but he uses evil in the government of the world in a way that is mysterious and it boggles our minds. And if we think we have it figured out, we are (laughs) prideful beyond belief. And if we think it doesn't matter, we're sleeping. (laughs) Trials come as a result of Satan's malice. That's what Job is saying. But God is behind it all. The book of Job is about how God treats his friends. Why do the righteous suffer? What is at stake is the glory of God. What we are reminded is that God foreordains all that comes to pass. Trials and sin come to pass. God is not the author of sin. God does not tempt anyone to sin. God does not condone sin. Derek Thomas. The Westminster Confession. In relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably, infallibly. And yet by the same providence, he orders all them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. We're not going to get into this a lot, but this is really important here. God, in his ordinary providence, uses means. Yet he is free to work above them, without them, against them, at his pleasure. A second cause is a cause caused by something else. So it's a theological term. God is the ultimate cause of everything that happens, and all these other second causes are what we see around us. That's the theology behind what we're about to see. Second, the first wave of afflictions. We move from a day in the courts of God to a day on earth. Maybe you've had a day like this. Everything seems normal. And then you get a phone call. And life changes and is never the same again. And you think it's a bad dream. And you think you'll wake up and your child who has died will be there. But they're not. You think that the miscarriage that happened really didn't happen. And yet, here you are in your pain and your sorrow. You think that the child who's 21 and denying the Lord is really trusting the Lord, but he's not. You think that the cancer diagnosis must be wrong, but it's not. It's like a lightning strike. The pain is overwhelming. That's what's happening here. Job is entering a trial by ordeal. He endures it. He must endure it by God's grace so that God will be vindicated and God's mysterious ways will be proven right. All of this happens in 24 hours. Proceeding in reverse order from chapter 1, where it talked to the blessings that Job had from God. It's a party for the oldest brother. All ten children are there. They love each other. They have wine. Wine gladdens the heart. They're enjoying 
time as brothers and sisters. It's a normal day when the Sabaeans, perhaps present-day Yemen, roving people have fallen upon the servants. They struck them down with the edge of the sword. And the first messenger tells Job this bad news. Maybe, as one man says, you've had a burglary in your home. You feel violated. Terrorist attacks, car bombs. Job had thought the world is safe. It's a killing field. And Satan, behind the scenes, is at work influencing the Sabaeans. Another messenger comes. The fire of God fell from heaven. Talking about lightning. Not only are the oxen dead, but the sheep and the shepherds are gone. And you think of someone who's gone through the loss of a home, a tornado, a tsunami, an earthquake, a fire, to the extent that God allows, Satan has supernatural power at his disposal to direct the elements for his evil purposes. A third messenger comes. The Chaldeans have three bands of people, and they take out the workers, the camels, and their keepers. And now at this point, Job is bankrupt. In one day, the greatest of the men of the East has nothing financially or physically left. But the tension rises. A fourth messenger comes. Job, your ten children were gathered in a home. A wind came up, a tornado, a twist, or something came up. It struck the corners of the house. It fell on the young people, and all ten of your children, Job, are dead. Satan pierces our mind with excruciating thoughts and doubts. He wants Job right now to doubt God. Job, you prayed for those children. You made sacrifices every day for those children. You loved those children. God doesn't love you, Job. In fact, God is out to get you. You've done some bad things, Job. You could never be in the favor of God, Job. That's what Satan wants to do to us as well. When suffering comes, we can sometimes think the worst of God. When our health goes, even when we're criticized at work or at something we love doing, we get so upset. Why do we get upset? Because deep down, we care more about what other people think of us than what God thinks. Deep down, we care more about our circumstances than the glory of God. We all struggle with that. And we doubt God loves us. Which is why throughout these two chapters, the name of the Lord, you see that in capital letters, L-O-R-D, reminds you of God's covenant promises to you. Reminds you that he is a God of love to you. Reminds you, Christian, that if you believe today, it's because of God's covenant mercy to you. It's because you were given to Jesus by the Father from eternity. It's because Christ obeyed for you. Christ died for you. Christ was raised from the dead for you. Christ's righteousness was given to you. Christ intercedes and prays for you right now. And Christ cannot lose you. The Lord is your God. He is Abba Father. 
Job believes that? Look at what Job does next. Blow after blow comes, and we see what's in Job's heart. Would Job curse God? That's what Satan wanted. When trials come to us, even when pressure and stress comes to us, what's in our heart comes out, doesn't it? It boils up. The words we speak that are so harsh, that are slanderous, that are evil, the grudges we hold, the grievances we grab onto, the things that we say, the grumbling and negativity that we speak, it comes out. Job arose. He tore his robe, symbolizing the pain in his heart. He shaves his head, mourning for the dead, and he shows outwardly things are not okay. I don't know what your spouse says to you when you're grieving. I hope they love you and sympathize with you. I don't know what your neighbor says or your boss says, but I do know this, loved ones. This church is a safe place to grieve. You can come here and you can cry. You can say things are not okay. We love you. We're here to listen to you. We're here to comfort you with the comfort we have in God. That's where our comfort comes. Things are not okay. Job has a theology of grace. Do you notice this? He doesn't say, the camels are mine. I worked hard. All the savings are mine. I earned it. The kids are mine. I own them. The health is mine. I've exercised. I've eaten right. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. It's mine. He doesn't say that. It's all from God. It's all by grace. It's not ours. None of it. Our children are not ours. They belong to God. They're his. He loves them more than we ever could. Thanks be to God. He cares for them when they sleep, when we don't and we can't. He protects them from all evil. They are his covenant children. If they're not walking with God today, we don't give up on them. We pray, God, bring them to faith in Christ. Bring them to their knees. Humble them. Bring them to repentance. Help them see the love of God for them. I failed as a parent. I'm weak. I don't have it. I can't save them. God, you can do it. If you build your life on stuff, money, children, health, and those things are taken away, Suffering will pull you away from the foundation of your happiness, one man says. That's what suffering is. It pulls you from something important to you. And if you build your life there, when you suffer and lose your health or your kids, you'll get cynical, bitter, and life will be unbearable. But if you say, I'm thankful for these things, God, they're not mine. My life is built on you. Suffering will drive you deeper into the true source of your joy, who is God himself in Christ. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says God was no less good in taking from me than he had been in giving to me. The circumstances of life change, sometimes overnight. Sometimes they get worse, not better. But God never changes. 
when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which you lay your head. And as you suffer, you learn to sing what we sang earlier, a song of lament. A psalm like Psalm 6 that is sung in pain, that cries out to God, and that leads to trust and praise of God. A song of darkness that leads to hope in the gospel, not in our circumstances. In all this, Job did not sin, meaning he did not blaspheme God. He did not do what Satan wanted him to do. Third, is there more to come? The next wave. We're back before the courts of God. You think this is like a repeat. In some ways it is. And one writer says, is there sarcasm here when God speaks to Satan? Devil, what have you been, been up to? Where have you been? Down on earth, attacking Job? Do you see that Satan in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 is silently mute about Job himself? He says nothing about Job. Because in some ways, why would you bring up the name of your opponent when you lost Have you considered my servant Job? Verse 3, God says, and you think, consider him. He's obsessed with him. He's inflicting all sort of evil and, and wrath upon him. He's doing the full extent that God will allow. Now, we all can be obsessed with things. Maybe we're obsessed with a certain cheeseburger. Maybe... We're obsessed with social media, our phone. Can't put it away. It's like we grew an appendage. FOMO, fear of missing out. Maybe we're obsessed with what someone's doing on social media that we want to do. Maybe we're obsessed with a a woman or a man that's not ours. Maybe we're obsessed with exercise, a good gift of God that we've made into an idol. It could be all sorts of things. Satan is obsessed, but Job still holds fast his integrity. He is on the outside the way he is on the inside. God says, you, Satan, incited me, God, against him, Job, to destroy him without reason. One of the most perplexing verses we can consider. Literally, it means swallow up, kids, like a fish that swallowed Jonah or the Red Sea that swallowed Pharaoh's armies. God is not the author of sin. Satan wants to destroy Job, not God. Destroy him without cause, meaning some sufferings, Derek Thomas says, can seem so random, so purposeless, like a cat that has a half-dead mouse that's swatting it around, kids. He picks it up and tosses it in the air, and he shoves it in the corner, and he licks his paw, and he's just playing with it. It can seem to us, from our perspective, that that's what these sufferings are, random, without reason. As the book of Job says, there's always a reason behind everything. Providence is never arbitrary. There are no black holes in the governance of God's universe. His control is absolute, but like we saw last time, we cannot comprehend it. We do not have access to the secret, hidden decree of God. We trust him. 
He's good. Satan, though, wants us to be cynical. Look at verse 4. Satan is saying here, Job is praising you, God, to get health insurance. This isn't real. Skin for skin. You take his children, you take his money, but what he really cares about is his health. If I have my health, I have everything, some people say. Everything else can go. I got my health. Hezekiah, the Babylonians are coming. Your people and your children will be taken captive. Well, it doesn't bother me. I'm not going to be around. For some people, their possessions are taken away, no big deal. Even their children, they suffer, but it's their health. It's me. It's my personal well-being that I really worship. That's what Satan's after here. He's going to curse you, God. And you're thinking enough is enough. Isn't this more than enough? Who else has gone through this? But God's glory is greater than our earthly comfort. And immediately, Satan strikes Job, verse 7. Satan is the immediate agent here under the sovereignty of God. We don't know what medical things are in between here. Some have speculated elephantiasis. We don't know. It's a total affliction, head to toe, loathsome sores, the same word for the boils of the plagues of Egypt. The rest of the book says he has aching, rotting bones, dark, peeling skin, wart-like eruptions, maggot-infested sores, difficulty breathing, anorexia, depression, insomnia, nightmares, putrid foul breath, fever, failing vision, rotting teeth, continual pain for months and months. God's people live with pain. Sickness is something we can expect. We live in a fallen world. We shouldn't be surprised when we suffer ill health. Timothy and Trophimus, Epaphroditus, and Paul were sick. Why? Not because of their sin. Job is not sick because of his sin. Thorns in the flesh. Every one of God's people has some sort of thorn in the flesh at some time, probably. Mental or physical, emotional or spiritual, visible or invisible, meaning you don't tell people that you pray to be released from, but God has given it to you. You don't know why. You can't figure out why. You're humbled before God. You pray, God, in my affliction, teach me to trust you. Teach me to love you. It's not there by your sin. It's there by the sovereign decree of God. And Job sits in the ashes outside the city, the trash heap. They throw dung there, poop kids, and trash. And once a month, they burn it. Jesus referred to this as a picture of hell. It's outside, away from people. He's there to mourn. It's a place of mourning. But now that he's sick, he's there because he's perhaps infectious. No one wants him around. He's remaining there throughout chapters 3 to 37 when his friends come and taunt him. He's hit rock bottom. 
He's itching so badly, he uses broken pottery to try to scrape away his skin to get some relief. He's so disfigured, his friends don't recognize him. It's the pain of loss. It's the pain of sickness. And there's one more trial to come. His wife has lost everything, too. These are her kids, too. Her life. We ought not make a moral judgment about her. But whatever her motive, she is the mouthpiece of a terrible temptation. Calvin said, Satan's tool. In her grief, she tells Job to curse God and die, which is exactly what Satan said would happen. That's what Satan wanted. The knife to the heart. My wife. And by the grace of God, His response to her is not harsh. We ought not be more harsh either. She's mentioned one other place in the book where she's understandably bothered by his, chapter 19, strange breath. At the end of the book, God restores children to them. She has not left him. Job does not call her a foolish woman. He says she has acted like a foolish woman. Her behavior. Should we not receive good and also evil from God? Job is saying the opposite of what you hear at funerals. When someone dies unexpectedly, people will say God had nothing to do with this. That's not what the Bible says. What comfort would would there be in that? God himself is a God, who in Jesus Christ is the suffering servant, he's right at the heart of your trouble. He knows your grief, the Lord Jesus does. Job did not sin with his lips. That does not mean he sinned less. But he did not curse God with his lips like Satan said he would do. Second Corinthians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What troubles you today? What distresses you? What hurts you? What tests you? What burdens you? Those are your afflictions. That's what Paul's talking about, as David Paulison says. We together are to comfort each other, meaning bringing life-lived wisdom, humility, sympathy, prayer, presence, patience, insight, confidence, relevance, hope to the struggles of each other. That's what we're here for, all of us one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. And we do so knowing I'm vulnerable, I'm overwhelmed, I'm weak, but the God of all comfort has comforted me in Christ. He heartens me when I feel disheartened. He encourages me when I'm discouraged so that I could encourage others. And the same with you. God's grace God's comfort, God's spirit gives us reason to live with courage, with hope. 
as we are reminded of the one Job points us to. Job points back to Eden, God's promise to send a Savior. Job points forward to the suffering servants who was tempted by Satan in an even more severe way than Job, who plunged into a darkness that is darker even than the darkness of Job, who himself wasn't crucified on an ash heap, but in some ways something similar to it. Hebrews says Jesus was put to death where? Outside the gate. Not on the temple mount. Not on the marble. Not with priests' investments. But out there, on the ash heap and beyond the ash heap. Out there where carcasses and criminals are. Where dung and refuse is. Out there on a cursed cross. Cursed is he who hangs on a cross. Jesus hung on that cross under the curse of God, bearing the judgment and the wrath of God. Before the cross, he was in Gethsemane. He was experiencing darkness in our place so that whatever darkness we experience cannot separate you from the love of God. Whatever grief you face cannot cut you off from the grace of God. Whatever depression and affliction you go through cannot separate you from the grasp of Almighty God in his love for you. God is worthy of worship because of who he is. He is a God of steadfast love and mercy. God draws near to you in his Son, He gives you the righteousness and holiness of Jesus in exchange for your sin that was laid on Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That brings us to bow the knee. The one who made you, the one who ordains all the circumstances of your life, the one who has ordained the number of your days is the one who sent his son for you. And we live after the cross. Satan cannot accuse you before the Father. The devil no longer has that access. This is the gospel truth of the cross. That there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our conscience has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and that trouble and hardship and persecution and famineness and nakedness and danger and sword and all manner of afflictions cannot separate us from the love of Jesus. Father, give us grace to comfort each other with the comfort that we have received from you. Help us to press on by faith. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.